This morning, if we can begin, we're going to be talking this morning on this question. If after we're saved, why do we need biblical soul care? After we're saved, why do we need biblical soul care? And this question really, I think it makes a lot of sense when we think about well, what is the purpose of salvation and what actually happens at salvation. And then how do we think about this in terms of, of needing soul care? Because if we've been made alive, what more do we need after, after that? And I think it's a valid question. I mean, um, what I think happens, however, is we often misunderstand the difference between justification and sanctification. We misunderstand the difference between justification and sanctification. So this morning, as we talk about biblical soul care last week, I thank Daniel for doing his work on how we change. Today, I want to give the, the doctrinal foundation that, that gives us um, a picture of why we're motivated to change in the ways that Daniel talked about last week. And that doctrinal foundation is, is this issue of sanctification. How do we think about sanctification? How do, we, how do we grow in sanctification? Why is sanctification so important? One of the dangers for you in the world that we live in is that you would deduce this idea of sanctification to just something that happens at church or just something that happens in the, in the whole, uh, this compartment of religious or spiritual issues. Instead of seeing sanctification truly as something that should consume the entirety of our lives and who we are and how we operate, how we live. This is what helps us to achieve uh, rest and peace in actuality. And so I want to talk a little bit about justification versus sanctification because, again, these are, th these are sort of the crossroads at which we find lots of angst in our soul. Uh, we lack assurance of salvation because we misunderstand the two things. We we think uh, gaining approval with God happens by the things that we do. Well, that's misunderstanding, thinking that sanctification accomplishes justification, right? I'm assuming that you are familiar with some of these terms. But often what's misunderstood is this. People wrongly believe that sanctification leads to justification, that we make ourselves acceptable to God by our own efforts to obey him, or that justification is by faith alone, but sanctification is all by works. If Colossians 2.6 is true, um, Paul said this, uh, in the same way in which you receive the Lord Jesus, which is by faith, right? We, we are justified by faith alone. And sanctification is the same. In the same way in which you receive the Lord Jesus, he says this, so walk in him. What does that mean? That means that your Faith was not a, a one-time gig, right? Your faith was something that, uh, that, yes, your faith initially and repentance justifies you. It, it makes you right before God in declaration. But this is, we live by faith, the scriptures tell us. And this living by faith is how sanctification happens. It's not as if, well, we had faith in Christ, now we're justified. And so we live by our own strength in order to accomplish the works that God has given us to do. Nothing could be further from the truth. The, the picture of justification is that we have been declared, made righteous before God, and now in sanctification, we still walk in faith, in constant repentance before the Lord as he changes us from the inside out. And, and what happens is now, instead of being declared, we become an actual reality uh, righteous. So I want to distinguish these two things because I think it's, it's really important. You've got to understand that all these processes of justification, sanctification, 
they are means of grace. They are means of grace by God, and they're all driven by faith. They're all driven by faith, and, and that's really the point that, that we see uh, when we think about how our souls are truly cared for. Okay, let's distinguish, and we'll just try to do this up front, and I want us to distinguish. I've given sort of a, it's not a chart, I'm, I'm not really artistic, can you tell? And uh, so I'm just laying out a couple of different things, and we need to make clarification on what we mean when we say justified, okay, or when we say we, we are justified before God, or this doctrine of justification. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but, but I think it, it, it bears us visiting just because sometimes these things are confused, okay? So justification. This is where God declares you righteous, right? This is what Paul is describing in Romans uh, where he talks about we are justified by faith, that we are declared and made righteous before God. So if you are a believer in Christ, the way God sees you is through Christ, right? That you've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And you are, as um, many writers have described, you are in union with Jesus. And if you're in union with Jesus, that, that now the same righteous deeds that Christ has done Uh, He took on your sin, and now that righteousness is imputed to you, or you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And God has made a declaration about you that you are righteous. Now, we could pause the rest of the Sunday, and we could just worship over that specific truth, that you, by faith in Christ, have been made righteous. God has made a declaration, and nothing can change that declaration. We also see justification as a legal standing. Okay? And this is the terminology that we see used consistently in Scripture, that um, if accusations could be made against you, this is the beautiful declaration of Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that if you are justified, you are not condemned before God, that he stands as your advocate right before the Father for all the sin that you have committed, and it is a declaration that even has legal standing, that you are not guilty. And we see this justification as entirely the work of God. This is something that God does, not man. It's not something that you and I do or because of our goodness that, that yes, he sort of lets us in, right? I mean, this is something that God alone does. It's very clear in Scripture. And we need to distinguish that between sanctification because as you live daily life, oftentimes it seems as though we're trying to live and do the things that we do to achieve what I just described, justification. I don't feel right before God. And all kinds of what the Puritans would call vexations of the soul really arise. The unsettledness of your soul arises because you don't feel like you are righteous before God. Well, see, this becomes an issue of faith. Do you see that? Where it's not about your feelings, how you feel in a given moment. It's really about what you believe because God has already declared something to be true. Do you see the wrestling that happens here? And this is why this becomes a a very soulish issue is we are trusting at that moment what we feel about a certain issue rather than by faith believing what God has already declared to be true. And so we work and work and work constantly trying to find ourselves right before God, thinking it's something we do to accomplish that. And that's an endless road that the Bible never tells us to walk down to achieve peace. In Romans 5.1, he says that we have peace with God by faith in Jesus Christ. And that is the only way in which we have peace with God. Now, let's distinguish that with, with sanctification. Okay, So now we are declared righteous before God. And so now what do we do? 
right? You're not perfected, that's for sure. Does anybody want to dispute that? If so, we'll ask your spouse, and that will be quickly overturned, okay? And the reality is, is that, that none of us are perfected. We're, we're not. And so what, what needs to happen at this point? Well, God's desire, God's goal for all of us is that we change, that we, we become something different than we currently are. And that's not just for his glory, although it primarily is, but it's also for our good, that we change, that we are in process of change. We don't, we don't have a license now because God has declared us righteous to just go and do whatever it is that we want. And so we've been called to this idea of sanctification. And, and when we think about salvation in general, the Bible, uh, Paul, particularly in the New Testament, uses the, the term salvation or saved in, in a lot of different contexts. And you have to read the context to understand. Sometimes he's speaking specifically about this act of justification. And sometimes he's speaking in salvation in total, justification, sanctification, and glorification, that it is a process now in sanctification by which we become what God has declared us in truth. And so what do we see in sanctification? In, in justification, it's a declaration, right, that we are now clothed in the righteousness of Christ. What we want to see in sanctification is it's an internal change, that now as God has made you alive, right, that there's still indwelling sin. There's still sin that dwells in you. And we want to see an internal change that begins to match what God has declared to be true about you. Is you don't want to remain where you are. You need to change. And here's why this matters in soul care is because at these particular points in life at which the flesh still reigns in you, this causes constant vexation, constant difficulty, constant unrest in your soul. And so Paul's constant call to us is to remind yourself who you are based on God's declaration, and then he calls you to commands, right, to mortify the flesh and then begin to walk faithful in Christ where we see an internal change, where we begin to love what God loves and hate what God hates. And that's really the goal then of sanctification is we need to see an internal change because what we see coming out of us, we know the Bible says very clearly, comes out of us because of what's in us. And the beauty of the scriptures is we're not just talking about outward behavioral modification. We're talking about internal change where desires, passions, affections from the heart begin to change. And that way we see outwardly our emotional responses radically change. The way that we see life begins to radically change. The things that we value begin to radically change. The, the ways that we act in relationship to other people radically change, but it starts with an internal change. So when we talk about biblical soul care, the reason that the heart is the target for biblical soul care is because this is what God is changing in us after our justification. And it's a process, it's a progression that happens in us. So not only is it an internal change, but this is something that's continuous in this life. I don't believe in Wesleyan perfectionism, that we achieve some sort of state of perfection, like at this state uh, that we currently are in. I believe that's the beauty of glorification. This is why Paul constantly said he longs for the glorious appearing. Why? Because he would get rid of this body of death that he lived in. He would get rid of this imperfection. He would get rid of all the thorn, the thorn in the flesh and all the other issues that he was struggling with, even personally. I think this is something that's continuous. We are progressively changing. That's the idea. So when we talk about sanctification, there's sort of a, 
a technical distinction. I don't want to go into all the details, but there's a declaration of, of which you've been called a saint, that you are, quote-unquote, in past tense, sanctified. Paul uses that term because it is a, as sure as anything else, but, but we still live in, in the now where that has not fully been accomplished in actuality in us, so we are in a process of change, this wrestling, as Paul would describe in Ephesians Six, that we are at war is the idea. And so we're at war continuously changing in this life. And here's a huge distinction about sanctification and justification. And this is where lots of the confusion happens, I think. In sanctification, this is something that we cooperate in. Now, let me pause for a second and just state very clearly that when anything good happens in you, you don't look back and think about how awesome that you are. When something good happens in you, Jesus would remind you that you don't have anything that you did not receive. When Paul says he boasts in anything that happens in him, he's not boasting in himself or his ability or the strength that's found within him. In fact, he finds himself boasting in his weakness because of the beauty and the glory of Christ that's shown in him. Huge distinction. But this is something that Philippians 2, we're we're called to cooperate in. We're going to talk about that in a bit. And so we're called to engage in this process of sanctification. This is why you are to take up arms, so to speak, in a spiritual sense every single day. Reading the scriptures, pursuing the things that God has called you to do, putting to death uh, the flesh that is at war within us, saying no to the, to the uh, luring and enticing of the evil one, and pursuing righteousness according to God's way. And this begins to change us from the inside out. It is something that we cooperate in, but it's, it's never without the full work of God and the, the glory that to do him. I'm going to give you a couple of definitions as we start to talk about this issue of sanctification. And what I want you to see as we talk through this definition is, uh, go back to a couple of weeks ago when I was describing in definition what biblical counseling is and its aim and its goal. The goal essentially is that we see ourselves become more and more like Christ. And why is that? Well, because that's the way God made you. God made you to reflect the character and the nature and the image of God. That's why God made you. That's how he made you. And so all that sin broke in you that detracts from your declaration of your life being in the, uh, to glorify God, sanctification is now in beauty returning you to health. It's returning you to what God intended and all that's done through Christ, through the initial awakening, the justification. And now in process, as we hear the word, put to death the flesh and pursue the things of God, we see sanctifying work that happens in us where now, think about this, that God is able to take clay that's temporal in you and now give himself glory through you as you reflect his character and his nature. And there's something that's settling about that to us. There's something that's satisfying about that to us as humanity. There's something that that forces us to rest in the Lord when we see ourselves doing, living, being what God really intended us to do. This is true health, that we walk faithful with the Lord. Why? Because it's it's the way that you you were made. It's why you were designed. Definitions. Here we go. Sanctification, progressive sanctification is this, (coughs) excuse me, it's the work of God by which we bring our thoughts, feelings, words, and actions into increasing conformity with the image of Jesus, dying more and more to sin and living more and more 
to righteousness for the glory of God. Now, here's the danger as we talk about that is, is your danger is now to deduce that just to your quote-unquote spiritual life. I think one of the greatest detriments of our modern age is the way in which we reduce your life before God into religious-only categories or spiritual-only categories. Listen, you need to understand that sanctification is not just something that you're working toward when you come to church. Sanctification is, is something that you, you should be working toward constantly in daily life, no matter what it is that you put your hand to do. That Christians should be the best and work the hardest at everything it is that God has given them to do. And in that, God is using all of those experiences, that sphere of influence, those relationships, even with unbelievers, to do a work in you that he intended, which is to conform you to his image, so that in those areas, God gets glory. Do you see the beauty of what God is doing in you and the places strategically that he has put you? He's done that for a purpose. And it's so that you would constantly be dying to yourself, living for the sake of other people and glorifying the name of Christ everywhere that you are. Because God's goal has remained the same from the beginning. He repeats it again in Habakkuk 2.14 that his glory will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea and he's using you to accomplish that. And how does he do that? By saving you. And then in process, where you are, using your experiences, daily life, the suffering, the difficulties. Yes, that person in your life to conform you to his image. Do you see how good he is? So that he could be proclaimed in all corners of the earth. And you happen to be a a little and small part of that. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 35 says this, gives a, a basic definition. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. I mean, this is really the the goal. This is a lifelong process. So if we talk about justification in God's declaration about you, right, that God has declared you righteous, and then that's pretty good. Now you have to walk by faith to believe that because sometimes you don't feel it. In fact, sometimes you don't act like it. And what's the call? Repentance. Repentance, okay? So change oftentimes for us happens in repentance. Sometimes we reduce repentance to a one-time gig as well. We think faith and repentance happens at justification and everything else. We just just go along with life. No, to be a, a true Christian is a constant act of faith and repentance, right? Constant act of faith and repentance. And so what is justification? I mean, what is sanctification? Sorry, what is sanctification? If I were to say that justification is declaration, okay, here's what I would say sanctification is. This is the best way I know how to boil it down. That it's the lifelong process of becoming in practice what God has declared us in truth. Okay, let me say that again. It is the lifelong process of you becoming in practice what God has declared about you in truth. Do you understand that? Like that's one of the most, I think, profound... I didn't come up with that. I wish I did, but... um, That's one of the most profound concepts I think that we could even meditate on is the fact that God constantly in daily life is working with us. He's patient with us. He puts us in different scenarios to help us to become in practice what he has already stated to be true about us. And his call constantly is that we just walk faithful in the ways in which which he's called us, in what he's declared to be true about us. 
Joel Beakey and Mark Jones have written a book about Puritan theology, and the Puritans really did, I think, a, a wonderful job talking about this issue of sanctification, making it an aim of life, not just deduced to, to churchy things, but, but making it an aim of life for all believers, no matter where it is that you go and what you do. This is one of the comments that they make. We must come to Christ not just once for justification from the guilt of sin. So he's saying um, in justification, we come to Christ once in faith, right? That's the aim is we come, come to faith in Christ. And then he says, but every day of our lives for ongoing sanctification. Christ is not just the door. He is also the way to heaven. Indeed, he is the glory of heaven itself. So do you find yourself sometimes distinguishing between, yes, Jesus is the way and I've placed my faith in Jesus, but then we forget that he's also the way to heaven, that daily you should be putting your faith in Christ and obeying what he, ta- what, what he calls us to do? Do you see how this becomes preventative care for you? And we should be constantly in normal processes of discipleship, right? What you hear uh, from this pulpit in the word on Sundays, that as you're applying it, this is preventative care for you that you are, you are being taught to place your faith in Christ, to, to say no to the issues of the flesh, to follow after Christ, to trust in him and who he has revealed himself to be, and that those things are useful Monday through Saturday. And that as you do that, it becomes preventative care for you, that no matter what comes into your life, that you have an anchor, Hebrews 6, 19 says, for your soul, which is the declaration of Christ. Okay, so faith is something that we, we enact constantly. Yes, faith in Christ is the door, but he is also the way to heaven. Now, I want to compare, if we can, for just a moment, on how sanctification compares with some other doctrines of salvation. And I'll just run through this very quickly. You don't have this in your notes, but I'll just give a quick comparison just sort of the, to summarize this, this particular area. How does sanctification compare with some other doctrines? So in in regeneration, it is an act, but it's something that God alone does. So when you are made alive, that's that's all all God. Repentance and faith, this is something that it is an act, but it's, it's something that God gives us to do. He calls us to it. In sanctification, this is a, a process. It's something that's progressive, okay? It's constantly moving, and God enables man to accomplish this. And then glorification, uh, the final act of salvation is something that God alone does, where he finishes that work, the author and perfecter of our faith. He finishes that work of God in us. There's a cool chart Dr. J. Adams put together to help you to understand sanctification, and you can find that in, uh, in one of his works, Theology of Christian Counseling. It's on page 233 if you're interested, if you love that sort of thing. Okay, now let's talk about sanctification more detailed. Okay, We've made our distinctions. We've seen how this misunderstanding can lead to a wrestling of the soul. And so what I want to talk about now is why is this good? Why is this healthy? Um, why has God given us still this work to accomplish post-salvation? Right? Why doesn't God just like zap us and we're all like perfected, right? I think there's a, something to do with the process that he, that he calls us to. I want you to turn in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 1. We're going to read, I think it's to verse 7, verse 8. Yeah, verse 8. And what I want us to do is I just want you to hear what God has called you to. Or if I'm talking to maybe some younger folks, 
you're constantly questioning, what am I supposed to do in life? What is the will of God for my life, right? You ever ask that question? What am I supposed to be doing? Listen, I think if we would take the primary things that all the secondary things would start to work out, right? And, and listen to the way Paul describes this in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, it starts in verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. And that's a common phrase that we've been learning about on Sundays, this idea of walking, or we will learn more about in Ephesians, what it means to walk. It just means how we, how we live, how we conduct ourselves, what we, what we do. Verse 2, For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Right? It's as clear as a bell. What the will of the Lord is for you. That if he has justified you, that he has made very clear what his will for you is. It is that you be sanctified. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So what he's describing now is the means by which sanctification happens, the putting off of the old man, as he would describe uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, 25 and following, or really 17 and following. But the, in actuality, 25 through 32, he describes what we put off, what we put on. He's doing the same thing here. Verse 4, he says that each of you know how to possess his own, uh, his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. So he's saying when we know God, when we understand him, that, that we are changed, we're made into something different. We pursue what God has called us to. Verse 6, And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warn you. For God has not called us um, for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. So a primary purpose in our life is that we pursue sanctification. That, that you don't change into the image of Christ in actuality on accident. That this is something that we pursue on purpose. That this is God's will for us. We see the same idea in Romans 8, 28 29. Can anybody quote Romans 8, 28? It's okay. You can, you can do it. Romans 8, 28. What's it, what does the scripture say? All things work together for good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we, man, we love to claim that. It's a wonderful verse, but we need to put that in context. What does verse 29 say? That he has predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. This is important because when we think about good, oh yes, he's, work, he's working all these things together for my good. And we sort of think in terms of good, right? Things that will benefit me, things that we think will advance our cause in this world, or maybe we get more possessions or something like that. That's certainly how it's misused in the broader culture, particularly in Christian culture and the prosperity gospel. That is not what that passage is saying, right? The definition of good is what? That he conform you to the image of his son, this is the idea of progressive sanctification. So God loves you so much that he's going to use your life and the settings of your life to accomplish his will in you, which is what? To conform you to the image of his son, not just in declaration, but now also in actuality. This is progressive sanctification. Colossians 1.28, Paul says not only is this God's primary goal, but it's the goal that he's given the church to accomplish. Right, 128, uh, Paul says in, in his concluding verse there, 
Uh, it's him we proclaim, talking about Christ, admonishing every man, so he tells us the means by which it happens, admonishing every man, teaching every man, making everyone complete in Christ. That's the idea of being sanctified. We're in process of being made perfected in Christ in the ways that we live. That's the goal of the church. And you have to pause for a second and stop putting this in some sort of category of high-minded spirituality. I think that's what happens to us. Sanctification is God's goodness toward us to care for our souls, to take all that was broken in it by sin and now give you the power through the Holy Spirit and the revelation of his word to crush those things which are destroying you. Do you see that? If the wages of sin is death, and we often think about that in terms of justification, but the same is true. The idea of death, it just means brokenness. It means separation. So your participation, even as a believer right now, in sin leads to what? It doesn't lead to life. It leads to death, the brokenness, brokenness in relationships that you have. So when when sin is enacted in those relationships, you see division, you see conflict, you see brokenness that happens. And see, the, the beauty of what God intends for you is that he's wanting to make you into this person that he has declared to be true about you that you are righteous before God. And so this is the the basic idea, is that he allows you, puts you in situations to remove from you, to strip from you, to take from you the things that are in you that are killing you. So now we sometimes find ourselves in self-pity when we we see ourselves in suffering or difficulty. But now this changes the whole landscape of how we view the suffering and the difficulty and those difficult people at work. Because now God is using them as a primary instrumentation in your life for good. That radically alters everything. Do you see the picture now? And so now how is it that James can say, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Are you seeing it? Consider it joy when you have to work with that person. Lord, are you, are you sure? Yes, I want you to be sanctified. And they are primary means to accomplish that work in you. And then you can say, with joy and gratitude, as Paul would say, in any circumstance he found himself in, to be grateful to the Lord. Why? Because of what God was doing in you. He's changing you. He's he's making you into his image. This is the beauty of what we see. Turn over to Ephesians 4. And maybe this is far enough away from when Pastor Rick will get there that I won't ruin it, okay? Ephesians 4, 12. Ephesians 4, 12. Paul says that he's, um, God has given us different people to serve the church in different ways. And what, what's the purpose of that? For equipping the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain, do you see it, the beauty, the unity of faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, that you would become mature in Christ to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, result, verse 14, that we are no longer like children tossed here and there to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness in deceitful schemes. You see, the, the beauty of what God is doing in conforming us to his image, do you see how this is care for you? Do you see how this is a foundation of soul care? So if I were to describe this in normal processes of what the church does, 
that it is constantly teaching and admonishing, and it does that through several means, okay, primarily through the preaching of the word. As you sit in Sunday school and you hear the word, that's a part of the means that you're, you're taught and admonished to follow after the things of God, to denounce the desires and passions of the flesh and the behaviors that are associated with the product of the flesh. But then also in, in care groups, right, where, where we're taught and admonished with one another. But this also happens in like normal conversations, wherever it is that you find yourself in an interaction with one another that this kind of stuff begins to happen, that we find ourselves conforming to the image of Christ. And that's care, that's preventative care. This is normal processes of discipleship based on Matthew 28, where Jesus says, and teach them all the things that I have what? Commanded you. Why does he tell us that? The reason is because that is the primary means by which preventative care happens. Do you see the picture? The result is that if we're not conforming to the image of Christ, which makes us stable, what's the result of that? To the degree that you remain immature in Christ, how do you find your life? You wake up every day not knowing what's going to happen and you're tossed to and fro by whatever hits you that day. Do you see how unsettling that is? If we were to take that metaphorically and start putting that uh, into the specifics of your soul and the unrest that you have. Now do you see why the beauty of what God intends for you in fellowship with one another under the authority of God's word is actually preventative care for you to make you stable, to walk faithful with the Lord. Now do you see the beauty of that? And so this is God's will. Sanctification is God's will. But sanctification is also, it's a transformation. It's you becoming something different than you once were, right? I mean, this is, this is the, the declaration of Romans 12, right? Verse 11, verse 36, he says, um, you were made by him, for him, and through him. And all the beauties of what God has given us in Romans 1 through 11, the whole of chapters 1 through 11, which are wonderful declarations about uh, God, who he is, about us and our detriment, right? And that we don't understand and we don't even seek God, but God has given us this beautiful salvation, these wonderful declarations of who he is. And verse 12, he says, now by the mercies of God. By what mercies? The mercy of Christ given to you and for you and that you walk in him. And then what does he say is a reasonable service. It just makes sense in all that God has done for you that you present your body now as a living sacrifice to do what? That as your mind is renewed, that you would be transformed, that you would not stay the same. That's the goal. And and what does this mean? Uh, What I've described this about relative to sanctification and us being transformed into the image of Christ, this this movement not... um, not staying the same, not being uh, conformed to the patterns of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind, is this is rooted in the nature of God. It's rooted in the nature of who he is. There's something that changes, and it's not God in this process. God remains the same. And we, who were made alive, now conform to him. See, often what happens, uh, and I, I love this quote, those who have a weak view of God Uh, God's holiness, are prone to fashion God after their own image. You see, God is the unchanging being. He is the most purified and holy being that exists. And so for us, we are to conform to him. But when, when we have a low view of sanctification, a low view of pursuing the holiness of God and the value of that, that holiness is, is, we sometimes think, well, that's for those legalist, fundamentalist, crazy people. No, holiness is a a pursuit of normal Christianity. 
You see, and when we pursue normal Christianity, we see ourselves as the one who needs to be conformed. But can I just warn you, when you have a low view of holiness, that now God begins to conform to your image. Do you see how that's a detriment to you? Because now what happens is nothing can save you when, when things go bad. You find yourself like that person that Paul described in Ephesians 4, the one who's tossed to and fro by, by every whim and every experience and every situation that you find yourself in. So the beauty of what God is doing in transforming us, this is soul care. And what he's doing is he's restoring us back to his image. And remember, I mean, uh, Genesis chapter 1, 26, 27, we are made in the image of God and it's through Christ that we are repaired. We're made back to be able to reflect that character and that image. Um, Thomas Boston, great Puritan, said this, Sin is fastened in our souls by nature. He's talking about because of the fall. As with bands of iron and brass, converting grace, he's talking about justification, loosens, in, it, loosens it at the root. But it must be loosed more and more by the daily practice of mortification. He's getting this idea from Romans 8.13. And if you think about our, our job, do, do you engage often in mortifying the flesh, that, that you make it an aim? Right? We, we think we constantly advance by all that we just add to ourselves. Well, I want to build myself up in this, and I want to grow in this, and, and, and that's all good. But do you understand that the process of growth for us, we don't start at a neutral place as humanity. We start at a great deficit. Right? In bondage to our sin, and as God by justification loosens that, now he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, we, can, we are free to live for Christ because before knowing Christ, we, we can only do what pleases ourselves. Now th those bonds are loosened, and what can happen? We can mortify the flesh and now pursue in freedom because of the power of Christ and what he's revealed. We can pursue that which is good. And so the constant process of change, which... Daniel talked about last week, is a putting off and a putting on. Sometimes we think it's just a saying no to something. Well, don't do this. Well, that's good, but that's only half the process, right? That's only half the process of change. I think about this in terms of, I'll do this quickly. I think about this in terms of the way I was taught about sexuality in uh, growing up in church. Is that we were always taught like, no, it's bad, don't do it, Right? No, it's bad, don't do it. Well, here's what you find is what are young people thinking about all the time if that's all they're taught? They're thinking about that, right? And what is their mind consumed with? Sexuality. Instead of what's God's design for all of that? This is the beauty of the Song of Solomon and what he, what he pursues. Did you know I was told uh, when I was growing up, if you're, an, um, if you're not married, you should never read the Song of Solomon. It's too graphic, too gory, right? Were you told that? Did you know that the Song of Solomon was actually written to the young, unmarried virgins of Jerusalem? Like, what? The reason is because he's telling us what to cherish and pursue. And that that, in cherishing what God loves and what he designs between a man and a woman, that that's so good that we want to keep the gate closed. Now do you see the process of change? Is just a putting off, but also a pursuing. Because listen, if you put something off and you're constantly trying to fight against your own flesh in something, if you don't create a new affection that loving what God loves, you'll never hate what God hates and you'll find yourself like a dog returning to its vomit constantly. You see the picture? 
And so the idea is that we have to be transformed. We have to be changed. And the beauty of what God has done is he's loosened that grip of sin on us, but our constant mortifying the flesh, putting it to death, as Paul would say in Ephesians 4.25, um, putting aside falsehood and then speaking the truth. Or let no unwholesome communication proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that's edifying that brings grace to the one who hears. Do you see the, the difference? We're putting off one thing and putting on another. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. We'll finish with this, and we're going to make it this time. Philippians chapter, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. This is a key verse where you can see this interaction in sanctification of God working and man working. Okay? Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13. This is what he says. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Right? So he's, he's commanding us to do something in the process of our salvation. He's not in context talking about your justification. You don't work that out. Okay, He's talking here, I think, about sanctification. For it is God who is at work in you. And how does God work in you? By the revelation, helping you to see, convicting you of sin, unveiling things that you need to see about yourself. And how does he do that? A couple of weeks ago, the mirror of God, right? By the word. That's how he unveils it. And then we pursue. God is at work in us uh, to work for his good pleasure. So it's glorifying to him. Now, how does God work? God works in a couple of ways. I'll, I'll give you these very quickly. You can see this in your outline. He works in correction. You see this in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. This is what the work of the word does in us. And it's God's spirit who helps us to understand the word and who unveils it to us. It's for the purpose of correction and to convict us right? To, to see who we are as we measure ourselves to Christ and places that were inadequate, things that need to change. It's okay to admit that you need to change. Do, do you understand that the whole point of God's declaration of you needing to be sanctified is that you're not perfect now? So, so why is it that we run around sort of like hiding that from everybody, right? Is we're a people who are in need of change. What does that mean? What, what does that mean? You're not perfect, and so we don't have to be afraid of those things and that God is the one who empowers us to, to now be obedient. And then sometimes God uses trial, difficulty. This is the, the testimony of James, James chapter 1. This is the work of God in our life is he, he puts us in certain situations to correct us, to convict us, to unveil the, the, the inadequacies, the weaknesses in us so that now in our weaknesses we can glorify Christ. And then what are the, what are the duties of man? That as God does that work in us, that we repent. This is a constant thing, right? Uh, a, a Christian who's growing and maturing is, re, is a repenting Christian. Do you ever notice that the more that you grow in Christ, the more wicked you, f you, you figure out that you really are? It's because as God convicts you, you see more and more the depth of sin. You know the purpose behind that? Is that you would see the depths of the glory of Christ more and more and more. You would see your dependence on Christ more and more and more. That's really the goal. And so we repent, and then from that, we, we see the flesh, and we mortify it. We put it to death. How do you put it to death? By putting it aside and obeying what God has called you to do. The next thing is submit to the Spirit. Now, as we pause here, I, I, want, you, I want to say this very clearly, is your primary job as a believer is submission to the Spirit. You got one job, 
okay? And it's submission to the Spirit. That when the Spirit of God, by His Word, says, commands us to do this, we do that. We submit. And what happens? He begins to change us from the inside out. This is how it's a work of man, a work of God, rolled into one. He reveals, and he says, Galatians 5, I say this, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The opposite is true, right? You don't walk by the Spirit, guess what's going to happen? You're going to gratify the desires of the flesh, and that's going to come out of you. But he's telling you the way that we, we respond to it. It's your primary duty, submit to the Spirit of God. And how do we do that? By pursuing righteousness, by obeying what God commands. Don't make holiness some sort of like super religious idea. Holiness is something that God has called us to, right? To reflect the character and glory of God. Let me run through this. Benefits of sanctification. God saves us to live in Christ and to walk in holiness. And that's for your good. That's for your care. That's caring for your soul. Holiness helps us to delight in God's peace so that our hearts are satisfied and that we rest in him. That's the goal. The way in which your soul is at rest and your soul is at peace is as you walk faithful with the Lord. And as you walk faithful with the Lord, there's a satisfaction that happens in you. There's a true rest that happens in us. A couple more benefits, the joy of fellowship with God. There's assurance, right? Sometimes we as believers wrestle with assurance. Uh, we struggle with assurance because sometimes we're not walking in holiness. And when we walk faithful to the Lord and we allow him to convict our hearts and we pursue righteousness, there's a settling, a rest in him that brings joy and fellowship with God. There's certainly eternal reward that the scripture talks about as we pursue justification. And then there's a legitimate walking in freedom, that we are free now to do what? Not anything that your little heart wants you to do, like in Hallmark movies, right? But there's a freedom to obey Christ, the, the reason that you were designed to obey God, to reflect Him. And we walk in freedom. And then there's abiding assurance, that if you see the fruit of the Spirit coming out of you as you submit to Christ, that is assurance that you have been sealed with the testimony of the Holy Spirit, right? So it's, it's constant health for you. Let me finish with this one phrase, and I, I hope this phrase sort of wraps up all that we've talked about. This is one of my dead friends, John Flavel, a great Puritan. He says this, what health is to the heart, that holiness is to the soul. What health is to the heart, that holiness is to the soul. So when you think about sanctification, our pursuit of sanctification is by God's design intended for your care. And we're to engage in that together with one another as a fellowship, as a body of Christ. Let me pray. Lord, we're so grateful. Thank you for your goodness, wisdom, and your word. Bless our time of worship, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.